I look for patterns. I notice patterns. Patterns catch my attention. Patterns are the way I come to understand what Heavenly Father would have us notice. So let me show you the pattern before we go actually into the book of Helaman. Turn with me to section 37. Again, I, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit because I have a request for all of you. Section 37 of the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lord sends them to the Ohio, right? Notice it. The Lord sends them to the Ohio. Now go to 38. He says, notice he says twice in 37. I want you to go to the Ohio. I want you to go to the Ohio. And then in verse 30, section 38, he points out why he wants them in the Ohio. Look at verse 32. Why did the Lord send this church from New York to Ohio? Two things. I want you to be endowed with power. So I'm going to build a temple, right? We couldn't build a temple in New York. So we're going to build a temple in Ohio. That was our first temple. And down come the keys that we need for this kingdom. And then what did he say? So we didn't have a law. We had an old law for a people that didn't live what we live. We were given a law. Now, forgive me, because your silence is going to tell me something. Where is that law? Where is that law? He sent us to Ohio to give us a law. Shouldn't that be a big deal in our lives? That the Lord gave us a law. Turn to section 42. Look at the section heading and tell me what Joseph Smith calls section 42. Embracing the law of the church. Not all sections of the Doctrine and Covenants are of equal worth to us. Section 42 is on a totally different plane. It deserves way more attention than I think we give it. Shouldn't you expect a whole bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots? Notice what he does. He kind of transitions out of the old and into the new. How about verse 18? What, were th- what are three of the laws that were repeated in modern day? 18, thou shalt not kill. 20, thou shalt not steal. 21, thou shalt not lie. Now, do you see we're just marching down the very bottom of the, doc- of the Old Testament? We're marching down the Ten Commandments. Don't st- kill, don't steal, don't lie. So what would be one of those? What would you expect to be one of those? In the old law, lie, kill, steal, adultery, right? But in our day, he doesn't say, don't commit adultery. Look at verse 22. I love the way he does it in our day. What's the language in our day? So much better, right, Holden? Yeah, that's how I love that word. Instead of don't commit adultery, the law in our day is... Love your spouse with all your heart. Now, if this is the law, notice one of, Amanda, we're in 42. Are these friends of yours? Teenage friends of yours, right? You are welcome here anytime. Sometimes people feel like they are out of place. Don't feel out of place. You're welcome here. Section 42 
Now, verse 40. In our modern day law, he made it a thou shalt not. Very clear. I mean, I don't know how much clearer he can say it. Name one of the modern day commandments. Thou, that for, you're in, for, sorry, you're in 42. I meant to go to 40. Section 42, verse 40. Name a modern day commandment. Thou shalt not be proud in thy heart. Now, do you see the pattern? Here's the doctrine and covenant saying, in the law of the church, thou shalt not be proud. Now let's go to Helaman. Remember, Helaman is a pattern of the days before the second coming. Helaman is a prediction of probably the best prediction of what your life will be like over the next several years. And we've pointed out three challenges in the book of Helaman. Wars of the heart. Now, how do you win a war of the heart? That was last week's discussion, right? How do you win a war of the heart? How do you not win it? With the sword. How do you, and again, win maybe isn't the best word, but how do you successfully deal with wars of the heart? What Moraniah couldn't do with the sword, Nephi and Lehi did with the word. Now that solution becomes the next problem. Remember, we were in Helaman chapter 5, where the, the fire comes around, and then they're converted, and they give up the lands. Now go to 6. Nephi and Lehi ended the war, the, the anger, the hostility between Nephites and Lamanites. It's no longer a battle of Nephites versus Lamanites. And once that is over, tell me what we're going to do. Now, we're free to travel. Lamanites can go up north and Nephites can go down south. There's no contention. So if I sell jewelry and I'm a Lamanite and I have a jewelry shop, what just happened? A whole new market just opened up, right? I've been selling my jewelry among the Lamanites and now where am I going to sell my jewelry? I'm taking my jewelry up north. And so what's going to happen? Helaman chapter 6, we're going to watch this, right? Starting in verse 7, there was peace in all the land. Insomuch that the Nephites did go into whatever part of the land they would, whether among the Nephites or the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did go whithersoever they would, whether it was among the, Neph the Lamanites or the Nephites, and they did have free intercourse with one another to buy and to sell and to get gain. So tell me what the next verse, what words are you expecting to find in the next verse? You know they're coming, right? Kyla, you know they're coming. What are the words you're going to see in the next verse? Exceedingly rich, exceeding plenty, all manner of precious metals. Jump down to 12. What word jumps off the page at verse 12? abundance, flourish exceedingly, multiply and wax exceedingly strong, many flocks. Verse 13, fine twined linen and cloth of every kind. Now, if Helaman is an indication of life, I know when I was a kid and the church said, you got to get your food storage. I pictured the end of the world 
scarcity. We're going to run out. Lack, I thought, was the prediction of the future. If Helaman is a pattern of the future, what is it predicting? Your challenge is not going to be lack. Your challenge is going to be abundance. Your challenge is going to be abundance. Tell me the land you live in and the opportunities at your fingertips. Who would have thought 10 years ago, five years ago, that you could make a pretty good living sitting at home with a computer? Who would have thought you could make a pretty good living on social media? You live in a day and a time of abundance and prosperity. Now, unfortunately, what set of words almost always comes after abundance, riches, exceeding all those types of things? What's the next word? Pride. So jump to chapter 12. This is Mormon inserting his commentary. Now again, what section, what, what, what's our topic today? What's our topic? What's topic number two? This, okay, topic number two in this course is that this book was written for our day. So can I ask you a question? To whom is he writing Helaman 12? This is Mormon. He's telling the Nephite story and then he pauses and he gives us chapter 12. Who is his audience in chapter 12? So does that perk your ears up a little bit to say, if a prophet were to say, I have seen your day, I know exactly the problem you're going to face in your day, let me comment on it and you get chapter 12. Doesn't that mean he's waving his arm saying, this is something you need to pay attention. Here is a secret of success in our day. So what is our problem? Verse two, Helaman 12, verse two. Let's hear Mormon's commentary. All right, anyone wanna read? It's a big long one, but it's a beautiful observation. Amanda, do you mind? Helaman 12, two. Okay, ready? All of those bounteous blessings. When God blesses us, we've observed what? Okay, so let me put this on a cycle. We talk about the pride cycle often in the Book of Mormon. We're going to start, we've seen them be righteous. We're going to start with righteousness. Anytime any individual or a group of us decide, I want to do what's right, I want to be righteous. Righteousness leads to blessings. You have nothing to do with that. That's God's doing. But he continues to pour out those blessings. And is he slow to bless us? Are his blessings mediocre and minor? Or is he abundant in blessing us? So then we get to the problem. Here's the problem. Because of his blessings, we get to this point 
I'm going to box it, and you'll see exactly why we box it. This is a critical stage of our life. This is prosperity. This is that moment where an abundant, loving God is pouring blessings down upon us. And we hit prosperity. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's social. Maybe it's physical. But we're going to find prosperity in one way or another. Sometimes it's religious and spiritual. But abundance is coming. Now, what's the commentary? What What did Mormon just observe? It is our observation that what do most people choose in prosperity? What's the natural tendency that flows out of prosperity? Pride. Pride causes my focus to be on me and not on God. Therefore, I obey my commandments and not his commandments. So pride leads to sin. Now, allow me to point out one of the dumbest. This is why Heavenly Father's children are so dumb. We go from righteousness to sin because why? He blessed us. It is the dumbest thing in all of his creations. Name any one of his creations that does that besides his children. We turn against him because he blessed us. Do you see what Mormon's trying to do? Do you just hear his commentary? It is ridiculous. We turn against a loving, abundant father because he blesses me. Now, here's the reality. Let's read verse 3. One way or another, whether he does it, whether I do it to myself, whether it's a natural consequence, I guarantee what flows out of sin. Anyone want to read verse 3? Helaman 12, 3. James? And thus we see that except the Lord doth chasten his people with many afflictions, yea, except he doth visit them with death and with terror and with famine and with all manner of pestilence, they will not remember him. What always flows out of sin? Pain. Pain. Usually it's the consequences of sin, right? What do we learn in the Book of Mormon? Wickedness never brings happiness. It always brings pain. Sin brings pain. Now I'm going to put that in a box because just like prosperity, pain is a critical decision maker. That is a critical moment. What do you do in pain? Now read the very end of that verse. What do most people do when the pain comes. If you don't have the pain, you often don't what? So what he's trying to say is, what is often the result of the pain? No one likes to be in pain, so what do you do when you're in pain? You want it to stop. And so you turn to the source who can stop it. And so pain often leads to humility. This isn't working for me. I am not liking this. 
Humility leads to repentance. And repentance leads to? And the cycle starts over. Now, Mormon in 3 Nephi is going to comment on how frustrating it is when people go so quickly from righteousness to sin. Remember the dog to the vomit comment? He says, it was only six years. <coughs> six years since they returned to their sins like a dog to its vomit. Well, why did the dog throw it up in the first place? It wasn't good for him. He threw it up and then forgot why he threw it up. Now tell me that isn't the cycle of human beings. People, civilizations. We are cycling through this. So tell me what Mormon is asking us to do. He's not just simply saying, hey, you're stuck and this is going to happen. Why is he presenting this? Why is he throwing these verses out? If not to say, isn't there a better way? Isn't there a better way? These stories are begging us to ask the question, isn't there a better way? So let me ask you, do you see a better way? Now, I know some of you, we've talked about this, so just hold on for a second. Give everyone a chance to look at it. Do you see a better way? Could you break the cycle in your own life? What's the shortcut? Tell me the shortcut. Kylie, what's the shortcut? What if we responded? That's why I put a box here. It's a choice. What if we responded to prosperity with gratitude and praise for the one who blessed us? What if we responded to his blessings with humility? What if prosperity made you humble? Tell me what I would avoid in my life if prosperity made me humble. Pride? Sin. And pain. Now, I'm not saying I have a pain-free right. I'm not saying that because we know the doctrine of mortality. We know we're here to be tried and tested and taste that. But what I'm saying is the pain associated with pride and sin, I could avoid. I could avoid pride, sin, and pain if I chose in prosperity. So do you see my switch point? Do you see I have in that moment a choice? Prosperity is a choice. Do you choose pride, which is what most people choose in prosperity? Or do you choose humility, which is not natural, but a much better choice? Okay, there's one shortcut. Do you see another one? Unfortunately, there is a negative shortcut that we see people choosing over and over and over again. The Book of Mormon begins with one young man choosing the negative shortcut over and over again. What's the negative shortcut? What if pain? Tell me what Laman did every time he was wronged or every time there was an affliction, or when they went without food, or they had to leave their home, or they had to take the women back into the wilderness. 
How did Laman respond to pain? There it is. Another shortcut is that pain leads to pride. Let me show you what I call layman's response. Lame man's response. This is how layman responded to pain. Turn briefly. We, we're going to need Helaman again, but turn briefly to Mosiah. I don't know if we will. You can change there. We'll come back if we need to. But let's go to, let's go to Mosiah chapter 10, verse 12. What was the tradition of layman? And what is the tradition of everyone like layman? Notice they were a wild and a ferocious and a bloodthirsty people, believing the tradition of their fathers, which is this. Here's the tradition of, the, of Laman. Now notice a repeated word in verse 12 and 13. Can you see a repeated word? Every time trial came, Laman felt wronged. That's a prideful response. Wronged is, how could you do this to me? I don't deserve this. That's the feeling of being wronged. Now notice the next repeated word, 14, 15, 16. What's the next repeated word? When you feel wronged, you get wrath. And then 17, you hate and hurt. Now notice how many people cycle that way. When pain comes, they feel wronged. How dare you? What did I do to deserve this? I shouldn't have to go through this, which is what kind of response? A prideful response. I get angry at God and when I'm angry at God, tell me what I do. I stop living according to his instructions, which is going to lead to pain. And when I'm in pain, I'm going to respond. You see the two shortcuts, which means prosperity has a choice. What are my two choices in prosperity? When things are really, really good, what are my two choices? Humility or pride. But notice what are my two choices in pain? Same two. Humility or pride. Now, tell me what the Book of Mormon is predicting for the latter days. Tell me what the Book of Mormon is suggesting your life is going to have to face. You will live in a day of... Prosperity and pain. And the choice in both circumstances is the same. Do you choose humility in pain or pride in pain? Do you choose humility in prosperity or pride in prosperity? Now watch, watch it, watch a shortcut. Let me show you a shortcut. So you can imagine the pain of the war chapters, right? That was a painful experience for the Nephites. Turn to Alma chapter 62. After the war is over, 
the memory of the war doesn't fade for a while. So what begins to happen in Alma chapter 62? Notice the war's been over for quite a while. And now at the very end of the chapter, let's start in verse 48. Who wants to be my reader? I'm going to read a few. I'm going to stop you a couple times. Rainy, do you mind? Okay, Alma 62, 48. Okay, so where are we? We're here. But the memory of the war chapters is going to do what to them? Keep going, Rainy. 40, 49. But notwithstanding their riches or their strength or their prosperity, they were not lifted up in pride, in the pride of their eyes. Neither were they slow to remember the Lord their God. But they did humble themselves exceedingly before him. Fifty. Yea, they did remember how great things the Lord had done for them. That last phrase is the shortcut, right? When he blesses me abundantly, I remember what he has done. Now here's what's sad. Ready? Sixty-two. I'm going to turn to the next chapter. Let's count the chapters. I've turned one, two, three, four chapters away. Go to Helaman three. Four chapters. So we've hardly, remember, they, they skipped the bottom. The memory of the war chapters, their, their prosperity leads to humility, which is going to lead to re- greater righteousness and greater blessings. And yet four chapters later, guess what happened? Guess what the memory of the painful experience of the war is not as prevalent anymore. So four chapters later, how about right in the middle of verse one? What's the phrase you see in right in the middle of verse one? A little pride, just a little pride. Now that little pride jumped down to Uh, We got to pause in verse 24, right? What's happening in the church? What's the P word that's happening in the church, Amanda? Great prosperity. And yet now go to 33. What's happened to the little pride? What word have we dropped? The word little. And now it says, save it were the pride which began to enter into the church. Not into the church, but into the hearts of the people who profess to the belong to the church. So verse 34, they start to be lifted up in their pride until verse 36. What's the phrase? Exceedingly great pride. How do you go from, what was it in verse 1? A little pride to exceedingly great pride. So is it safe to say they couldn't make it two times around this? They couldn't make it two times through the shortcut. They did it once, but the second time around, they forgot and they're headed right down here. So allow me (laughs) to remind you that the book of Helaman is the handbook on how to succeed in the latter days. So shouldn't, not just the book of Helaman, but the whole book of Mormon be an antidote 
on how to choose humility in both prosperity and pain. So let's go back. So we're reading Helaman, right? Now, third Nephi on is kind of Jesus and then the end, right? So what are the main books that Mormon wrote? Besides Jesus and the end, what are the main books that Mormon wrote? The big ones, Mosiah, Alma, Helaman. I don't want to discount third Nephi on, but the focus of third Nephi is Jesus and his visit, right? And then boom, we're done. Then we've got Moroni adding. And then we've got Nephi. The, those are the lost 1216 pages that got replaced with Nephi. So what is the Book of Mormon? Mosiah, Alma, Helaman. So he is trying to point out, we've got a problem here. Let me take you back to the fourth chapter of Mosiah. Do you see where I'm going? Where am I going? The very beginning of Mormon's words. Let me show you the brilliance of how the Book of Mormon is put together. The fourth chapter of Mormon's writings is King Benjamin. Verse 11, don't read verse 11. Just get ready to, but don't read verse 11. King Benjamin says something in Mormon ch or Mosiah chapter 4, verse 11. Now go to verse 12. If ye do this. So whatever he said in verse 11, don't go back and look, just bear with me. If you do this, and then a big long list. If you do whatever he said in verse 11, what will happen? Let's start in verse 12. If I do whatever's in verse 11, tell me what will happen in my life. If I do that one thing, then rejoice, filled with the love of God, always retain a remission of my sins, grow in the knowledge and glory of him that created you or in the knowledge of that which is just and true. Is it safe to say that if I do that one thing, my relationship with heavenly father will be right? I will obey the first commandment. Would you agree? Doing that one thing, I will obey the first commandment. Okay? How about verse 13, 14, 15, 16? Doing that one thing will do what? In other words, do you see the connection? Doing that one thing, I will obey the second commandment. These people, I will love my neighbor. Is it safe to say, am I overgeneralizing if I were to say verse 11 has the secret to life? Verse 11 will allow you to obey the two great commandments that Jesus gave to love God and to love my neighbor. Do you agree with that or do you think that's, an over, uh, that's a stretch? According to the Book of Mormon, Mormons very beginning, if you do what's in verse 11, your relationship with God will be square. And your relationship with your fellow men, your neighbors, will be right. Sounds like a cure-all to me, doesn't it? So go back to verse 11. Tell me 
What is, it's two parts of the one, I'm gonna say one thing, but it's two parts. What are the two parts to the one thing I need to do and everything else in my life is gonna go okay? What are they, Amanda? Okay, that's part of it. Keep going. Keep going in verse 11. I would, even so I would. Even so, I would that you should remember and always retain in remembrance, number one, the greatness of God and your nothingness. Mormon gave that at the beginning of his writings to say, here's the answer. Now, he's ending Helaman by saying, do you see the unraveling? So if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sure seems to me that choosing humility is who is great. This line right here, God is great, I am not. What is this line? In both cases, what is it? I'm, I'm gonna do this in a different color. I'm not gonna corrupt purple. I am great, God is not. Would you agree in both situations, how do you choose humility and pain? Talk to me about practicality of that. How do you choose humility in pain? Kylie? Well, I guess like when we're in pain, we know that there's somebody who can help us. Like you go to a doctor, like you have to admit that you can't get rid of the pain yourself. I can't, because if I could, I would, right? I wouldn't be in pain if I could control it. The fact that I'm in pain says, I am nothing. And he is greater than this pain. Therefore, I'm going to reach out to him. That's humility and pain. Now, what's humility and prosperity? He is great, and I am not. Now, I don't mean to bring... I don't know how you feel about Larry H. Miller. Some people love him, some people hate him. But I read something about Larry H. Miller that changed me. Um, do you guys remember Doug Robinson? was a article, newspaper article. You, you guys remember. Doug Robinson wrote so many sports articles for the Deseret News. Doug Robinson interviewed Larry H. Miller. And that interview had a tremendous influence on me. Larry H. Miller told him about a dream that he had. This is from that article. Miller had a dream that he says was remarkable in its clarity. He was in a high-ceilinged room with open skylights, and there was a knock at the door. He took a white package wrapped with white ribbon that lay on the table and gave it to someone at the door. Moments later, there was a knock, another knock. This time, there were more white packages on the table. He took them to the person at the door. The scene repeated itself over and over. Each time he gave away a box, 
he turned around and discovered that it had been replaced by more boxes on the table until eventually they filled the entire room. Where are these coming from? He asked Gail. The only thing I can figure is that they're coming through the skylights. Now, do you see the interpretation of the dream? What was he saying? In his prosperity, what was he saying? God is great. How can I give away God's goodness? And every time with that attitude, what was happening? He was cycling through prosperity. Now, does that mean his life was full of, you know, green lights and parking stalls in front of every restaurant? No. That's mortality. But do you understand that idea of choosing God? Now, let's do the opposite. Tell me what choosing pride in pain looks like. What does choosing pride in pain look like? Well, however you word it, we're going to go back to Mosiah chapter 10, verse 12, right? Wronged, wrath, anger. How could God or you or that person do this to me? In other words, it's I'm great and God's not because he's not stopping this. Do you see the attitude? I'm great and God's not. What is choosing pride in prosperity? What does that look like? All my success is my doing. I did this. In other words, I'm great, not God. Do you see Mormon wrote the answer to the problem in the beginning of the book and said, somehow you've got to figure out in both prosperity and pain, how to keep in remembrance, always retain in remembrance the greatness of God and your nothingness. If you can fix that, you will succeed in the latter days you will avoid a great deal of pain, a great deal of pride, sin, and pain. If you can figure out how to choose God's greatness. So let me give you some helps. Let's go way back. I just want to show you how this flows throughout the Book of Mormon. We'll do Helaman in just a minute, but let's go way back to Jacob. Let's go way back to Jacob chapter six. Or sorry, two. Jacob chapter two. Way back in the Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter two probably has, in my opinion, the greatest commentary on how I go from prosperity to pride. This chapter is going to illustrate this line better than anything I can find in the scriptures. So let me take this line. I'm taking this line and I'm going to blow it up onto this board. How do I go from prosperity to pride? Let's go to verse 13. Jacob chapter two, verse 13. I just, I can't believe the brilliance of this single verse and helping me identify what the problem is. I think we can boil that down to three statements. 
The brilliance of this Book of Mormon is I think I can pull the three statements that go along that line right out of this verse. So look at verse 13 and tell me what you think the first word is. What's the problem? Where does pride begin? Is it the word abundantly? Is that the problem? Is the problem having abundance? If it were, could you rightfully say that Jesus has an abundance? If abundance is automatic pride, then Jesus is pride, proud. So the word is an abundance. The problem isn't the word abundance. I would suggest, you correct me if you think I'm wrong. I think it starts with this word. I think that's the word. That's the first word on that line. As soon as I have an abundance, what do I notice? Tell me why more is my word. Those of you who agree with me and say, yeah, I think that's the beginning. Why is abundant not the problem, but more is the problem? There it is. Say that loudly. It's the comparison. In my abundance, what do I begin to do? What's the tendency? I start comparing my abundance to your abundance or your lack thereof. And as soon as I see that I have more, now jump to the end of verse 13. Where does, what does having more cause me to go? That's going to be our third one. But why do I persecute? Go to the end of the verse. I persecute because I think I'm better. I think that's the second word. Because I have more, I think I'm better. And the moment I think I'm better, what do I do to you? I persecute. Boy, that verse to me is such a defining moment. I think that's, that's this line. In my prosperity, I start to notice. I notice my prosperity compared to yours. I have more. And it doesn't matter what it is. What are some of the mores that you've seen people take pride in? Clearly money is one of them. I have more money. What do people with more money do? What do they think? I'm better. And what do they do? They remind us. They throw it in our, our face all the time. That's persecution. Okay, name another more. Okay, more righteousness. It's just as tempting, right? I have been, God blesses me with spiritual prosperity. And I begin to notice. And I say, I have more spirituality. Therefore, I'm better. And I persecute. I say things. I do things that remind you that, oh, I was a bishop at 22. Why do I need to throw that in there? Why do I need to throw in that I was a bishop at 22? I wasn't. But have you ever noticed that people throw those phrases in? That's their way of persecuting. And they persecute because they think they're better because they have a more. Name another more. Katie, what were you going to say? 
Right. So let me figure out how to work. Okay. It. Now, let me point out that sometimes what we think is humility is actually pride because it's the same pattern. Sometimes it's you have more, therefore you're better. Yeah. You have more, therefore, I think you're better, and I persecute. It's still pride. Exactly what I was going to say. You summed it up perfectly. It's still pride. It's the same process. I am using someone else's abundance to say, I am less. Do you see? It's it's pride. So allow me, if you will hear it, to say, every one of you have a more. Every one of you notice how God has blessed you more than others. It's easy to notice. If you want to know where Satan's coming after you, what is your more? What is your more? And it really doesn't matter what it is. As long as I have more than someone else. I have a son who's a doctor. You don't. Therefore, I'm better. I homeschooled my children because I love them. And you didn't, therefore you don't, and I'm better. We notice in our prosperity the more. Your strength is your weakness. You got it. Do you see all of these things coming back and connecting? Yeah. Everything that we've talked about is all related. Imagine that. Someone says somewhere that all truth can be circumscribed into one great whole. I think that's how it goes. James. So what about, like, let's say prosperity in the gospel. So gospel knowledge or, like, you know, just that God has blessed us abundantly and going to, like, well, I, I do have more, so I want to share it, but some people won't receive it. Like, what do you do in those situations? Because... Again, going from telestial to terrestrial to celestial, going from terrestrial to celestial isn't what I do. I don't make that change in what I do. It's where? It's what do you think? Who are you? What are your attitudes? What are your desires? So it would be God giving it to me anyway, so it would be that humility of like, I need it. Whether, whether people receive it or not, I feel like, they're his children, and he wants me to share what he gave me. You see the attitude? There's no I. Okay, allow me to illustrate. I know we're a little bit over time, so I'll go fast. Actually, I won't. You can leave if you need to. But let me illustrate how ridiculous this game is. I think Dr. Seuss noticed it. I think Dr. Seuss was keenly aware of how dumb this game is, this more better persecute game. And he wrote a commentary on how dumb this is and how much, how foolish we as Heavenly Father's children can often be. So allow me 
to read this together. See if I can pull over so the people at home can see it. All right, ready? Oh. Watch for more, better, persecute, and watch how ridiculous he plays it out. Ready? Oh, got to go back to the beginning. That's the wrong slide. We got to get the end. Sorry. Now, the star belly sneeches had bellies with stars. The plain belly sneeches had none upon theirs. Those stars weren't so big, they were really so small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. Did you just hear that jab? You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the plain belly sneeches would brag, we're the, what's the word? Because I have something that you don't, I'm better. We're the best kind of sneeches on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they'd sniff and they'd snort. We'll have nothing to do with the plain belly snort. What are they doing? They're persecuting. Because they think? Because? They have something that someone else doesn't have. And whenever they met someone they were out walking, they'd hike right on past them without even talking. When the star-bellied children went out to play ball, could a plain belly get in the game? Psh, not at all. You could only play if your bellies had stars and the plain belly children had none upon theirs. When the star belly sneeches had Frankfurt or roasts or picnics or parties or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the plain belly sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. They kept them away, never let them come near. And that's how they treated them year after year. More, better, persecute. <coughs> now, who wins this silly game? Then one day, it seems, while the plain belly sneeches were moping and doping alone on the beaches, just sitting there wishing their bellies had stars, a stranger zipped up in the strangest of cars. My friends, he announced in a voice clear and keen, my name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean. I've heard of your troubles. I've heard you're unhappy, but I can fix that. I'm the fix it up chappy. I've come here to help you. I have what you need and my prices are low and I work at great speed and my work is 100% guaranteed. Then quickly, Sylvester McMonkey McBean put together a very peculiar machine. He said, you want stars like a star belly sneech? My friends, you can have them for $3 each. Just pay me your money and hop right aboard. So they clambered inside and the big machine roared. And it clonked and it bonked and it jerked and it burked. And it popped them about and it bopped them about, but the thing really worked. When the plain belly sneeches popped out, they had stars. They actually did. They had stars upon theirs. Now, all those years of persecution, what's going to happen? Then they yelled at the ones who had stars at the start. We're exactly like you. You can't tell us apart. We're all just the same now, you snooty old smarters. And now we can go to your Frankfurter parties. Now, once you've had a taste of more, and then all of a sudden there's no more, tell me what you do. You look for a more. I have three, you have two. I have brown, you have green. You look for a more. Then up came McBean with a very sly wink and said things aren't quite as bad as you think. So you don't know who is who, that is perfectly true, but come with me, friends, do you know what I do? I'll make you again the best sneeches on beaches and all it will cost you is $10 each. Belly stars are no longer on style, said McBean. What you need is a trip through my star off machine. This wondrous contraption will take off your stars so you won't look like sneeches who have them on stars. 
And that handy machine working very precisely removed all the stars from their tummies quite nicely. Now they have what? Now I have something you don't have, which is ridiculous because what was I doing with that very situation earlier? Do you see? He's saying, what a dumb game we play with our more. And only one person wins this game. Then with snoots in the air, now they have a more, and they think they're better. Do you see? It doesn't matter what the more is. With snoots in the air, they, par they paraded about, they opened up their beaks, and they let out a shout. We know who is who, there isn't a doubt. The best kind of sneeches are sneeches without. Then, of course, those with stars got frightfully mad. To be wearing a star now was frightfully bad. Then, of course, old Sylvester McMonkey McBean invited them into his star-off machine. Then, of course, from then on, as you probably guessed, things really got into a horrible mess. All the rest of that day on those wild screaming beaches, the fix-it-up chappy kept fixing up sneeches. Off again, on again, in again, out again. Through the machines, they raced round and about again. Changing their stars every minute or two, they kept paying money. They kept running through until neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was what one or what one was who. Then when every last cent of their money was spent, the fix-it-up chappy packed up and he went and he laughed. Sound familiar? He laughed as he drove in his car up the beach. Do you remember that look that Amalekai had on his face? He laughed as he drove in his car up the beach. They never will learn. No, you can't teach a sneech. Now tell me what Dr. Seuss was playing or was pleading with. But McBean was quite wrong. This is what it's going to take to get to the millennial day. This is who will be with Jesus in that millennial day. Here's the key. He's great. I'm not. And this doesn't matter. But McBean was quite wrong. I'm quite happy to say that the Sneetches got really quite smart on that day. The day they decided that Sneetches are Sneetches. And no kind of Sneetch is the best on the beach. That day, all the Sneetches forgot about stars and whether they had one or not upon stars. He must have read the Book of Mormon, or at least listened to the same spirit that inspired the Book of Mormon. If you want to be with Jesus in the millennium, we have to be one of those Sneetches that says, I'm not going to play this game. The only way you win this game is how? The only way you win this game is how? To not play. I won't play the game. I am no better. I am no better. Now, let me just bring this all full circle. Again, I look for patterns. Do you remember where we started? Section 42, section 38, the law of the church. Go back to section 38. Let me show this go full circle today.
Go back to section 38, which was the precursor to 42. That's where he sent them to, to um, Ohio. Let's go to 38. Let's start in 2425. Remember? Remember how we started here? And in, chapter, in section 42, verse 40, it says, Thou shalt not be proud in their hearts. Let's go back a few sections. Go to section 38. I need someone to read 24. Section 38, 24. Anyone want to read? And let every man esteem his brother as himself and practice virtue and holiness. Before now watch what God does in the very next verse. Tell me if you've ever seen this in all of the scriptures you've read. Think through all the scriptures. Jesus just said, the Lord just said, let every man esteem his brother as himself. And then in the very next verse, let's read the next one. How many times have you seen that where God does what? He says, hey, let me say it. Mm, let me say it again. Doesn't happen very often, right? Let me say something very important. Did you get that? Let me say it exactly the same way again. What's he doing? So what is the antidote to more, better, persecute? I am no better than you. How does he teach that in the temple? Tell me how he teaches that in the temple. He puts everyone in the same color. And everyone does the same thing. And we stand in a circle. You see what he's trying to teach? I leave you my bold prediction that those who figure this out and come to understand in prosperity and pain that God is great and I am not, those are the ones that will build Zion. Those are the ones that will usher in the, new, the second coming. And those are the ones that we will, will be with Christ in the millennium. This is something we have to figure out. In both prosperity and pain, God is great. I am not. Of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.